Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33% with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market This week on the show, it's just me. Vanessa, unfortunately, is out sick. But it means that I get to totally geek out in this conversation on a couple of themes that we've been exploring recently in our guest episodes. Both a conversation about friendship and boundaries and navigating difficult conversations. And another one about figuring out what's right in relationship to our bodies, thinking about pain thresholds and disability. And so I'm so excited to talk to our guest, Sarah, this week because. I think she's bringing those two things together in a way that's really going to resonate. I'm Casper Turkile, and this is The Real Question. Today, we're joined by Sarah Steinberg, who is a healthcare consultant living in Medford, Massachusetts. Go Bay State. (laughs) In Sarah's spare time, she runs an organization called Blue Tent Leadership, which researches and shares information about the democratic activist community. And I've been thrilled to be part of that. So I'm so glad you're joining us, Sarah. Welcome to The Real Question. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I hope that in this next, you know, 45 minutes, we're going to reshape the landscape of activism, democratic <laughs> politics. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's just all part of your we day. Got this. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> so, Sarah, will you tell us a little bit about what brought you here? Yes, I'd love to. So a little bit about me. I've always kind of thought of myself as an artist, but like without a medium. Like I've tried all sorts of things, never really found like what works. And then the pandemic hit and I was frantically looking for sort of like a way to channel my art because I knew it was going to be something that was like a healthy coping mechanism, right? It would like keep my hands busy, keep my brain busy, get me off my phone, Mm. but I didn't know what to do. And so serendipitously at the same time, my niece, who was six at the time, she started making stop motion 
animation videos. It was so cute. She would send them to the family. It was like she would take her Barbies and her Legos and they would get into all sorts of hijinks. And it was really cute and awesome. <laughs> and and so I thought I was watching one of her amazing videos and I was like, wait, this could maybe be my thing too. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, I got on a video chat with her and I was like, can you show me how to do this? And so, you know, my six-year-old niece patiently showed me, my millennial self, (laughs) how to do stop motion animation, how to take pictures. And like, wow, I was off to the races. So all of a sudden I was like, this is it. This is my thing. And so what I do is like I draw a million little 2D pictures. Then I take a billion pictures of those drawings, moving them like ever so slightly every frame And through that, you create an animation. It takes focus. It takes time. I mean, it's just the best. I absolutely love it so much. (laughs) Can we share one of your animations in the show notes so people can see? Yeah, absolutely. So that's sort of like thing one, right? So that's great. Awesome. Thing two is sort of this caveat. And the caveat is that I have rheumatoid arthritis. So Mm. RA is a chronic disease. I have to go to the hospital every two months and get an infusion of like this seriously intense, like immune suppressing drug to be able to function at all, pretty much. And sort of after like that medication, along with a bunch of other treatments, a bunch of other modifications and things that I've had to implement, I still get exacerbations or we call them flares. And I have two main symptoms when I have a flare exhaustion and joint pain. And specifically for me, my joint pain is often centered in my wrist and my, in which happens to be my writing hand wrist, right? And so as you can imagine, stop motion is extremely slow and arduous. And that's a tough combination, right? Stop motion and RA. And, you know, sort of like having joint and energy problems. But the thing I love to do is especially trying on my joints and energy. And so... That leads me to like the third piece of context for this question, which is that I started this early in the pandemic. I would, you know, hop on Zooms to chat with my friends and stuff. And I used to tell them all about this because it was it was something I was super passionate about, super obsessed with. And I would tell them the whole thing. Right. I was like, I love stop motion, but it's also grueling and tough and it causes me a ton of pain. Hmm. So like an example, I would like hop on a Zoom chat icing my wrist, you know, from after. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I just spent six hours doing making a stop motion. It was so awesome. Am I right? And I was expecting them, my friends to be like, oh my gosh, totally so cool. Like, tell me more. And instead I would, (laughs) I would get this like look of horror on their face out of concern. Right. They were like, why are you doing something that hurts you so much? They felt so troubled by the fact that I was in so much pain. And so every time I would talk about it, my friends would try to push me and be like, maybe don't do it as much or don't do it at all. Like, why would you do this thing that is harming you so much? And Mm. so I still do stop motion because I love it and I can't stop. (laughs) It still puts me in extreme pain and it exhausts me. But I don't tell my friends about that part anymore. And they're they're much more supportive because they don't hear about like the negative trade-off side, but I'm like lying to them. I mm. don't get to share really this part of me anymore. And it's, it's isolating. It doesn't feel right. 
And so all to say, I guess what I'm asking is the thing I love to do causes me pain. What do I do? It doesn't feel like Mm. it's just okay. It doesn't feel okay yet. (laughs) Hmm. First of all, I want to start with the stop motion animation. I love the way you describe that you're like, I am a creative person. Like, I feel artistic, but I hadn't found my thing. Like, I hadn't found the medium because I totally get that. Like, I mean, we're all creative people, right? We, we're yeah. all artists in one way or another. But yeah. I think so many of us never feel like we find our thing. Right. Where we feel confident enough to build and express and create and mess around and dedicate. And like, I love the way you're saying, <laughs> like, it doesn't just occupy my hands. It occupies my brain. Like, yeah, you found the perfect art form for you. That's so cool. <laughs> Thank you. I feels it feels so fulfilling, right? Like it's, you know, I've spent I've walked around for 30 some odd years without like a thing. And so it feels so good to have that thing for sure. And this is this is not your job, right? Like this is something no, that's correct. purely about joy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then the rheumatoid arthritis, is that something you've lived with your whole life? Is that something that's also been more prominent over the last few years? How, how do they sit together, this kind of newfound art and the disability? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So I got diagnosed and I started getting really sick in my early 30s. So it hasn't been around mm. my whole life. It's been around semi-recently. I'm 37 now. And at the beginning, it was crazy. I mean, it was it was so bad and so out of like uncontrolled. And you know, it takes a while sometimes to get the right medication and the right sort of yeah. all the things. And so it was so bad that I couldn't even write my name, let alone draw. Wow for wow. about like six months or so. I mean, it was tough right at work. Like I, I have sort of a interactive job where there's a lot of brainstorming and stuff and whiteboard use. And so I'd have to always be like, could you coworker jump up and write something? Cause I just, I was incapable of doing it. And so I had to literally at like 32 years old, had to reteach myself how to write. So part of like, I think my artistic journey is that I'm so connected to this idea that there was a period of time where I was just an artist in my head completely. And I was like, nope, I'm going to figure out a way. It's not going to be the way I used to. It's going to be a new way. But like, I'm going to become an artist again and sort of, you know, triumph over the limitations I have. Mm. Right. So. Sarah, I hear you being like very clear about the joy that you get from stop motion animation creation and even very clear about your willingness to bear the pain mm-hmm. that comes with it. Yeah. I am the furthest you can imagine from any sort of medical professional. So <laughs> knowing that we're talking a- about a serious health experience, yeah. like if you're willing, would you share with us, like have there been limitations by doctors or uh, other medical advisors saying like, you really should stop or like, actually this is fine. Like wh- where does this fall within a kind of medical view? Totally, yeah, absolutely. So RA is an autoimmune disorder, a chronic disease. And the thing about having... A disease like this, where it's not going away, like I've been in conversation with my rheumatologist for ever since I've started this, my goals of care versus Mm. what the textbooks say or what people without this disability say. It's like, what are my goals of care? What do I need for my life? And so one of the things, um, my rheumatologist is great. He's been awesome. And he's worked to understand that my goals of care is that I need to be doing this. Mm. So we got to figure out how to treat me 
such that this is okay. And so Mm. the medical side is like, they're very on board for this. They understand that, you know, one of the things he said, because it's not actually particularly normal for RA patients to have like one joint. Often they have many joints that are sort of problematic. And he was like, you know, I've seen this in in the knees of marathon runners. And I'm like, consider me a marathon runner, but for art, right? Like, that's who I am, is an artist. Yeah. I don't run marathons and I never would, but that's... But you're spending six hours. Yeah. Yeah, like there's an activity that's taking long endurance, like marathon runners, I'm sure they're navigating, again, I have not run a marathon, but I'm sure they're navigating their own pain thresholds and exhaustion. Like. In different ways, but there's echoes there. That's really helpful as a comparison. Mm -hmm. So this really helps me because I hear not very much anxiety at all when you're describing the joy of creating this art and the willingness you have to endure the the impacts of the disability. Yeah. Where I hear just some hesitancy or some, some inner turmoil is when you started talking about your friends. Yeah. And it's clear that these are people who love and celebrate you and want the best for you. Like... So hooray for team friends, first of all. <laughs> yes, yes. And and it, it was in the moment when you said, and I stopped telling them how I actually feel mm-hmm. or like what my body is experiencing. Like I still want to show them the art. And that's the moment where I feel like we're getting to the real question because this sounds to me that it's more about a question of integrity mm-hmm. than anything else. Like you're holding something back from the people you love and who love you. Yeah, that's a really, yeah, that's a good way of saying it. I hadn't thought of it, but you're totally right. That is what it's about. I can imagine this is so tough because on the one hand, you're like, just leave me alone. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's my body. It's my life. Yeah. But on the other hand, these people really love and care about you and they're expressing yeah. concern. Right. And I'm curious, like, how did it feel to maybe more than once have people say, like, I'm really worried about you or like, should you really be doing this? Totally. I, yeah. I, honestly, it feels it doesn't feel good. You know, having having a chronic disease and something that you know, limits me in a lot of ways. It's like one of those diseases that it's like, it's a family to like, it affects not just me, it affects everyone in my life. And they have to pick up slack that I can't do. And there's simple things like carrying heavy groceries, right, that other people have to do. And so it feels like, I mean, it feels like a burden for them, I'm sure. It also feels like a burden for me because I feel like that I'm a burden. And so I think Mm -hmm. knowing that there was so many people out there worried about me, was was heavy. And I mean, and I think, you know, it, it was sort of this cycle, right? Because like, I mm. feel bad that they feel bad and they feel bad that I feel mm. bad. And I think it, you know, it just sort of exacerbates out of control. <laughs> you just said something that is such a, a powerful phrase. And I, I'm thinking about the ways in which that feeling of like, I, I'm a burden on a friendship yeah. can really become an isolating experience because you don't want to impose Right. That feeling of being a burden on a friendship. Have you had friendships in the past where where that feeling has been present and it's ended up causing like distance? Like I, I'm curious if 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 this is an issue you've had to navigate before in a way. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't know if there's like one instance or one friend, but it's been an incredible I would say like internal journey for me, because like one of the things, again, about like this disability and getting it in my 30s. Right. So like I've sort of was this able bodied person for 30 years, didn't think about these things like I've had to, I guess, uncharacteristically for my age at this young, quote unquote, young age, I've had to really learn like how to ask for help, Mm -hmm. when to ask for help, understand those boundaries and 
I think part of this like burden thing is that like I've had to reconcile with that personally, right? I've had to understand that like my friends and family, especially my friends in this case, are super happy to pick up those groceries, right? Or to like do those things. But but now I have this sort of relationship with like, if I ask for help, I want help. If I don't ask for help, I don't want help. And if I need you to worry for me, I will say it, right? And so I think I'm also struggling with that. It's just like, I didn't ask for you guys to worry about me. And I feel like maybe yeah. like petulant saying that, yeah. but but maybe I've gone too too far in the other direction. I don't know. <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. And I'm suddenly seeing a new element to this situation. And I'm curious if this is true, which is when you spend six hours working on a stop motion animation, are your needs from other people bigger than if you hadn't done that? Hmm, that's a good question. I I would say yes, probably. I mean, probably both physically and mentally. Because one of the things like, or mentally and emotionally, right? Like I want to talk about it. It was like one of the glories of stop motion is it's it's really just a series of problem solving because you're like, how do I get this ball to go from the left side of the page to the right side of the page while also this other thing is happening? And it's such a fun puzzle to like uncover. But part of that puzzle is like, and I'm in the midst of a flare and I'm freaking dying and like, that's part of, you know, that's part of the journey and part of the, yeah. the struggle. And I want to talk about it and I want to unpack it, right? And I would say none of my friends are particularly willing to fully unpack that with me. The flag word is something that's really sticking out at me, just as you share that, because I'm also curious, you know your own experience of pain better than anyone else. Yeah. And so you you will know when something is in a bearable place or unbearable. Right. And I'm curious, like, would there be a moment when it was too much? Or or are you like, look, this is the center of my life. And you're like, I'm going to do this even, you know, X, Y, Z. Like, is right. there a limit to what you would endure to do this? So there totally is. I mean, I definitely, I would say probably there's like a window where I can like power through but there's also days when I wake up and it's like, absolutely not. That's not happening. We're going to have to binge watch a show today and forget it. And I intimately know that, but definitely my friends don't and probably don't even understand that feeling of like waking up and being like, I could probably do this or or I could do it for two hours. I can't do it for six today. But yeah, I know that pretty well. And I think that's a really powerful distinction that you've just pointed us to, which is, you know that, but maybe your friends don't know that. Yeah. And so they don't know where that boundary is. Yeah. And so when you're like, look, I'm at a five or whatever the number right. is, you know, on terms of a pain threshold, they're hearing, you know, Sarah's at like at a nine yeah. and she's doing this thing like, no, must, must <laughs> totally. Stop. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I have like these ice packs all over my wrist and I'm showing up on a zoom like, ugh, ugh. So tired. Ugh. And they're like, what? Like, what? Is, yeah. Buddy. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. What? what? <laughs> like, I don't blame them. I, that, I would react like that if I saw that. So I get yeah. that. <laughs> so, Sarah, what's the first text that you're sharing with us today? Yeah. So um, the first text I'm bringing is from Netflix's Song Exploder. And so 
Song Exploder is a podcast and a Netflix sh- series. The host is Rishi K. Shearway, and each episode features a, a different song. And it takes the musician of and the, who created that song and unpacks it and talks about like where it came from, where the lyrics were thought up and all that stuff. And so the specific one today that I brought is from a Netflix episode and Rishi is interviewing Lin-Manuel Miranda about the Aaron Burr signature song, Wait For It, from the musical Hamilton. And so just to set up sort of where the the quote comes from in, in this particular episode. So Lin-Manuel Miranda starts to tell this story about how most songs that he creates, you sort of pick away at the lyrics, what like little by little. But for Wait For It, he had the melody and had no lyrics whatsoever. And so he had this recording of the melody, just like the sort of the main melody part on an iPod. And he was on his way to his friend's birthday party, his friend Jacob Robinson. I'm not sure why he says his whole name, but he does. So Jacob Robinson's birthday party (laughs) was an hour away on the subway. And so Lynn gets in the on the train, like puts his headphones on, listens to this melody for an hour, just kind of like listens to it, listens to it, listens to it. And he says, you know, the moment I got off the subway walking to my friend's house, Jacob Robinson's house, that was the moment like a bunch of lyrics came to me all at once. And so this is sort of what he says right after that. I recorded it just enough so that I would remember it. I went to Jacob Robinson's birthday party. I had exactly half a beer. I shook his hand and said, I have to go home. <laughs> and I wrote the rest on the way home. Lin-Manuel took his initial idea for the song and recorded a demo. Theodosia writes me a letter every day. So one of the things I, I actually, I'll confess, part of the reason this has become a sacred text to me is because when I'm doing stop motion, I literally play this episode over and over again because it wow. just like rings so true. And and the reason I, I chose it is because what I take from it is that art is awesome, but it comes at a cost and that there's a trade-off, right? So in order for Lin-Manuel to make Wait For It, one of his best songs ever, he was kind of a bad friend to Jacob Robinson, right? So there was like mm-hmm. a sacrifice there. It doesn't mean that he shouldn't have made that song. I don't think anyone, including Jacob Robinson, would say like, you shouldn't have made that song. But I mean, come on, showing up to someone's birthday party, not hanging around, then le- ditching, like that's that's not the best French, you know, that's not the best, right? And so I think what I take from it is like, it's not black and white. It's not go to Jacob Robinson's birthday party or create wait for it. It's like something has to give. And art is important if you're an artist, right? He had something to get out of him. And so he did it. And that it takes your capacity and time, right? And that there's sacrifices, I guess. What would you be willing to sacrifice for your art? <laughs> I mean, I think for me, it's like my not being in pain, right? I'm okay with being in a lot of physical pain because I feel like I have to do this. What about being a bad friend? <laughs> I mean, it. I right. I think that's the thing I'm struggling with is like, I feel like I'm a bad friend, right? Because I know that this mm. is weighing on my friends and I'm, I'm trying to right? like, I listen to this because I'm trying to tell myself, I'm like, Lin-Manuel could be a bad friend and it's okay. But I, 
yeah, I'm obviously struggling with that for myself. (laughs) There's something in my mind as I'm thinking about this question of like, yes, it brings you great joy, but it also depletes your your physical body, right? Like it's yeah. it's exhausting, it's painful. I'm thinking about my sister who's an incredible athlete and was a sailor for many years and is like a mountain biker mm-hmm. and just had a pretty serious concussion. Oh, wow. And I think is really having to evaluate some of the, the risks involved in some of the amazing sport that she enjoys. Right. And... I'm wondering if there's this, I don't want to say a parallel, but an echo of that mm-hmm. in your experience where it's like, okay, it brings me so much joy, but it also brings me exhaustion and pain. Yeah. Like, could I go long distance cycling rather than like mountain biking where I'm doing jumps over huge piles of gravel right. and like falling on my face, right? Maybe, right. like, is there a lower intense version of an art form like stop motion animation? Or is, I'm curious if you've explored other ways of creating that maybe wouldn't have as much negative impact on your on your body. Yeah, that's I mean that's an incredible question and I think my friends would be like, "Thank you Casper for asking this question," right? Um, <laughs> um I would say that I've never tried, I would say, like a different medium or art form. Hmm. I've considered it a lot. I've thought about that because you know, my friends have a point and I think for me I'm like I don't know, what's the whole, like, I taught myself how to draw again at at 30. It brings me so much joy. I'm like, maybe it's extreme, but I don't know, you find your thing. It feels really hard to be like, nah, I'll just walk away, right? I don't know. I'm, and, and I'm, and I guess I'm open to the idea that there's other things that are my thing, but I feel like I found my thing. I would, I want to quit. I don't know. Well, it's like you're hearing suddenly the lyrics joining the melody and you're like, I want to grab onto it because yeah. I will maybe create other musicals that are awesome, like Lin-Manuel <laughs> <laughs> but like this one, I want to, I want to grab, like I'm, I'm getting it right now. Totally. Yeah. yeah it's right here. It's right now. It feels like maybe, I mean, cause you know, one of the things I've been talking with my rheumatologist is there's some scary surgeries and future things, right, that are going to potentially come up. So this might not be something I get to do forever. And so part of me is like, well, I get to do it now. So I should enjoy it now because who knows what the future is. So this may be way too big a question, but it, I think your story is opening up something in my thinking about like, what is life really for? Mm. Because What I hear your friends saying is they want you to be not in pain. They want you to be comfortable. They want you to be safe. Yeah. And I hear you saying, no, I want to express myself. I want to create. I want to occupy my hands and my brain with something that brings me joy. Yeah. And I'm willing to endure the things that you think are more important. You know, like, I, I, yeah. it feels like there's two, like, bar charts or something. Like, one is going higher than the other. But for your friends, it's the other way around. Totally. And... Have you had that conversation? Like, how has it gone when you've tried to say, no, it's worth it for me. Like, I love you and I appreciate you and your care, but like, no. <laughs> totally. I've Yeah, I have had this conversation with a few friends and and, and with my sister. I think when we, when we unpack it, right? Because the way I sort of often say it is like, I sort of think of this as like YOLO with a caveat. 
where it's like it's mm. not just you only live once but you're only given this life right so it's like for mm. me it's like either i do art with pain or i don't do art at all like that's for me is the choice and so when i when i explain it like that i think it's it's understood intellectually by people who aren't in the same exact situation as me but i still don't think it's like fully like fully understood like in their hearts if that makes sense it does what do you wish they understood in their hearts if you if you could have them feel what you feel what would that feeling be i've asked myself that question before and like i found people who are fellow artists who can like totally understand that like tunnel vision right i i was recently at a wedding and i met up with one of my f- old friends from college who's an artist and she was like saw some of your stop motion on Instagram. Oh my gosh. She's like, you must just like revel in that like zone. Like she, she totally got that part of it. And I was like, oh, I feel so good about that. But there is this like caveat where it's, she doesn't understand the pain side of it, right? She doesn't have a, she doesn't have a chronic disease, you know, a pain-based chronic disease. And then I also have friends who have either RA or like similar things to me. And they totally get that like, that like trade-offs, that asking for help, that like sometimes you wake up and you can't do it, sometimes you wake up and you can, and and they totally get that side, but they don't have that same like, oh, I need to, like that mm-hmm. need to express themselves and like you just described. And so I think what I'm looking for is someone who like gets both of those things together, like the intersection of those two things, because that's mm-hmm. what I think I'm trying to describe. I mean, this makes so much sense to me why you said that word isolation before, because it's like there are people who understand this half of the experience and people understand that half. But like, I I don't hear you saying that there's someone who understands both at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I want to turn to a moment in the text and I want you to tell me what it means to you. What does the half a beer mean? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question, because it's it is probably my favorite part of the text. Hmm. I feel like it represents like an effort, like not nothing, right? Like he didn't do nothing. He didn't not go. He didn't just sit in the corner and, you know, sing more lyrics into his phone. He like participated half in, right? What could that look like in the relationship with your friends? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because like, I think I... I think I'm hard on my friends and I I think I often get frustrated like I'm like they have they have this zero sum game approach to my my RA and my art why can't they just understand there's a gray area but maybe I'm sort of also giving them that same black and white reaction where I'm saying like it's either I give you all the details or I give you none of the details but maybe half my half beer is like giving them some of the details. I really love where we're landing, Sarah. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, I like where we're landing too. Should we turn towards our second text? Sure, yeah. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm so excited about this next text, Sarah. Can you tell us what it is and why you picked it? Yes, definitely. So the second text is from the show Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) It's from season two, episode three. So like the last episode in season two, the Reichenbach fall. And so for those who don't know, you know, so Sherlock is a quote unquote consulting detective who solves mysteries in sort of unconventional ways He has this sidekick slash best friend slash partner, Dr. John Watson. And and Sherlock is sort of this like very confident in himself, sometimes overly confident, always solves the mystery, you know, larger than life kind of guy. And in this particular case, in this particular clip that I chose, uncharacteristically, something is getting to him and, and this case is actually like worrying him. Which, like, you've never seen this happen in in the whole series to this point. Like, him being worried is a very weird thing. And then there's this, his lab assistant, Molly Hooper, who Sherlock often overlooks. She actually really sees, honestly, unlike even John Watson, like, she truly sees Sherlock. Especially, and even in these insecure moments that he's having. So she finds an opportunity to approach Sherlock to ask him, like, how are you actually doing? Are you okay? And don't just say you are, because I know what that means, looking sad when you think no one can see you. You can see me. I don't count. What I'm trying to say is that if there's anything I can do, anything you need, anything at all, you can have me. No, I just mean... I mean, if there's anything you need, it's fine. I'm curious why you love this text. What what about it resonates for you? So I think the reason I like this text is because I sort of see myself in Sherlock, not because I think I'm 
what is it, a high functioning sociopath or whatever. <laughs> Maybe I am, but <laughs> more because I, I just think it's, you know, stop motion and that art is sort of unconventional, misunderstood, right? Like that type of stuff. But maybe even more importantly, I see my friends in Molly hmm. in that she doesn't totally understand Sherlock's methods or the stakes of this case even, but like she understands him better than anyone else does. Hmm. And and like that she actually really does see him and that she actually really does care about him even if she kind of like bumbles the offer to help, right? Like maybe it's imperfect, but like she loves and cares about him and like she doesn't really know what to say or know how to say it, but she still says it, which yeah. is so brave, right? And and I think for me, it just resonates. I'm like, my friends totally see me and totally love me and totally care about me. They may never soup like fully understand, but they they super care. And so I think that's why I love this clip so much. I'm so glad you have these friends. <laughs> I know. They're amazing. I am too. <laughs> have they stopped asking about the pain? Or have they stopped trying to stop you? So they have. And unclear if it's maybe I've closed the door on that conversation. And they've respected that. But it also could be them, right? Maybe they are at more peace than I think they are. Unclear. This is so interesting because we talk a lot about boundaries in this show. And it feels like yeah. here's an example of them reaching out in a way that you're like, thank you, but no, thank you. I'm putting up a boundary. Yeah. Those friends respecting that boundary. And now you're here and you're like, but this isn't what I want either. Right. And I'm not saying that's wrong or right, but I'm saying that's interesting. And I'm curious, is the certainty and the clarity of having the boundary that you have now better than the uncertainty, but maybe more connection of, I, I don't want to say undoing it completely, but maybe lowering the wall or something? Right, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think maybe... Maybe this is selfish, but I kind of want them to care when I want them to care. Yeah. And I can't I can't dictate that. And I think no boundaries didn't work, right? Where it was like, hey, this is a free-for-all. We can talk about this whenever, in whatever context. And it didn't make me feel comfortable. It didn't make my friends feel comfortable. You know, and I'm not saying I'm not a complete proponent of boundaries, but maybe I've put the walls up too high now. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, there's no room to ever have this conversation from either right. side of. And, so. and I think that's important that boundaries are not forever. Like boundaries are the thing that helps us be in a healthy relationship. And so we change the relationship changes. So the boundaries are going to change. So I, I, I don't want to, I want to make yeah. sure I'm not sounding like <laughs> I'm critiquing that. Cause I think it's a sign of health that we renegotiate and we find what the right thing is. But the thing that strikes me from the text is that Molly is interrupting. Like, Sherlock yeah. doesn't want this. But then at the same time, he kind of appreciates it. A million percent, yes. Right? Like, what's happening there? Honestly, it feels like a representation of, like, good boundary setting, where it's like, you're not allowed to say this if John can hear. Like, John's not allowed to be a part of this conversation. But if you want to get me alone... You're allowed to be like, dude, real talk. 
Let's get into this. And it doesn't have to be styleful. Like, she is clumsy AF as she's making, <laughs> right? Yes, like, yes, you know, she really and is. so, so there's a, I don't know, there's a sweetness to that or a vulnerability to that clumsiness, which I think, again, is an expression of honesty and, and care. It isn't a well crafted letter, right? It's an expression of love, right. really. Yeah, it very much is, which it feels like that's what my friends are maybe wanting to do or maybe I'm wanting to sort of like craft that same type of like safety Mm. or Mm. space, right? Where I want to create a place where they understand the right places Ah. to talk about this or that we've established that those are the safe spaces for both of us. I think this is really important. I think so too. (laughs) Can you say what you could imagine starting to make those safe spaces or what are the moments in your day when you're like, oh, this would have felt nice or in the artistic process. I don't know where they are, but I'm curious if you have a sense of where they might be. Yeah. I mean, I almost wonder if it's like combining a few things where like one of the things I've never done, because I, you know, like I said, it's a slow, arduous process that takes hours. And so one of the things that I'm doing where you know, I'm either like listening to an audiobook or listening to a podcast or something is like when I'm drawing. I mean, it's hours and hours and hours. And it doesn't take a hundred percent of my brain power, right? But what I've never thought to do is to like get on a video call or even like have a phone call with a friend and like talk about the process as I'm doing it. Huh. Which I almost wonder because like then it feels like in the moment I could be like, oh you know, got to spend half an hour icing my wrist before I do another thing. And that feels like maybe a little bit like lower stakes or something for both of us. I love that. Because then they're not seeing the impact, right? When you're when you're icing yeah. your wrists, the, the pain that you're in, the exhaustion. What they're seeing is the joy and the fulfillment of the creative process. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, and one thing I, I want to point out that part of the reason I love this quote so much is because he actually does end up taking her up on the help that she offers, despite Ah. her bumbling through it, right? And I think, like, part of why I find so much in this is because I'm like, I think part of it is me actually, like, giving up some control or, you know, Mm. like, being willing to not always do everything on my terms, but do some things on my friend's terms, right? And and that could be calling them during the process where they can see the joy. But, like, if they do have a little bit of, like, eh, maybe you should take a break, like, instead of just dismissing it, right? It's, like, maybe that is where I have to be, like, even if I don't stop, maybe that's the moment to explain a little bit of, like, why I'm doing this or, you know. Yeah. I'm sitting here listening to you, Sarah, and just reminded over and over again how wonderful these friends are. Like, I mean, you're clearly such (laughs) a warm, fascinating, like creative, committed, you know, engaged human being. So like, of course you have great friends. And that's that's such a gift, right? Like, I mean, there are times in my life when I haven't had that kind of friendship surrounding me, and it sucks when you have that. So I'm Mm -hmm. just thinking about your friends, and I'm thinking about with loving someone comes the feeling of not wanting them to hurt. And you have a disability, you live in a world where you have hurt a lot of the time, if not all the time, I I, I don't know exactly the extent, but I don't know, there's like a learning process for them about accepting that. 
in here as well. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, and I think, yeah, no, I mean, you bring up a great point and and maybe it's not even a learning process. Like maybe there's never going to be a point where they like to see me yeah. hurt, you know, I mean, or not like to see me hurt, but maybe they're never going to be okay that I have a disability and that like part of what I live with every day is this, this pain yeah. and, and that it gets worse and that certain things cause it to get worse and all that stuff. And you know, and on some level, right, I don't want them to be okay right. with that, right? Because then it makes them such good friends that they care about this and that that takes up their capacity. I mean, it almost sounds like it's not so much that they have to learn. It's almost like I have to, I don't know if it's like give them more. I mean, I'm sure I have to give them more space to feel their feelings and to care about me. But I almost wonder if like in this particular context, I, I have been too rigid on Mm. thinking that they're the ones that need to sort of adjust when I have not sort of looked in within and been like, Mm. of course you want your friends worried that you're in pain. Yeah. (laughs) It would be weird if they weren't worried, probably. Yeah. And I also feel like, I don't want you to be too hard on yourself because I think in, in some (laughs) ways there's something here about time. Like, you yeah. have thought about this and lived with just even thinking right. about the future, for example, right? Where you're like, look, there may there may be operations that are coming down the line. And so I want to use this time while I have it that I can do this thing that I love. Yeah. Now, your friends just may not have had the real time to integrate the reality of that. And so yeah. they just they have a different perspective because they haven't they haven't been exposed to the fullness of your experience. I think that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, I think I almost wonder if that's part of where I should like let my walls down a little Mm. bit because like, I mean, I think I explained it to you and you're like, oh, yeah, (laughs) that makes perfect sense that it's like. Why are we even recording right now? Go make some stop motion. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) right, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so I feel like and I've had a few I've had that when I, you know, had a few of those rough appointments with my rheumatologist where he's like, I'm going to tell you some news that you're not going to love about the future. And the friend I did talk to about that, I mean, she's super understood, right? Like I was, I was opening up, I was telling her like the stakes of things. And even though it's, yeah, not her lived experience, she doesn't have the baseline I have and, and doesn't understand what it's like to live with pain. Like it felt like she understood the closest she was ever going to understand without having this experience herself, right? And, like, I think part of it is I'm not explaining the stakes. And so, yes, maybe they need time. I think they definitely, like, they need more time as well because, like, I yeah, like, I've lived with this for so many hours and so many years at this point. But I think also... I have the luxury of the context, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I live with the context. I get to go to those doctor's appointments. I get to do the stop motion. I get to feel the moment when I should stop or the moment I should ice my wrist. And they don't. So not letting them in to, like, those details, right? It's going to just frustrate us and me and them because it's like, well, without context, yeah, of course they're going to be like, no, just don't do it. Is there anything else you'd want us to think about together, Sarah, as you explore this question? I don't know. I mean, this went in such a direction I wasn't expecting, which is, you know, I'm sure the whole point of this, but it's amazing. (laughs) 
I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And I'm so excited to watch the art that you're creating. And I'm, I'm so <laughs> Thank you. grateful that you're making it. That's really wonderful. Well, I'm so grateful for this conversation. Thank you so much for for exploring this with me. I'm, I have so many good ideas to try with my friends. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show for this week. And I get to close with a little maxim from Grace in Philadelphia, who shares, when a finger is pointing up to the sky, only a fool looks at the finger. You've been listening to The Real Question. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. We love hearing and interacting with all our patrons, especially. So thank you for supporting the show. And if you want to support the show in other ways, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Real Question Pod and on Twitter at The Real Q Pod. A big shout out to our BFF tier patrons, Laura Lorber, Amanda Schramm, Aoife Howe, Ashley Mayle, Eloise Faring, Mary Margaret, Stephanie Fedowish, Jenny Cruz, Kristen Hall, Becky Boo, Bitty and Ari. We're so, so grateful for you making this show happen with your support. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nedelman. We're mixed by Erica Wong and our music is by Nick Boll. And we're distributed by Acast. A huge thanks to Sarah for joining us. And if you are interested in hearing about Sarah's research on democratic activism, check out her great podcast called The Activist Bubble. As ever, thanks to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Lara Glass, AJ Yaramas, Gabby Iori, and Stephanie Purcell. And in her absence, my dear friend Vanessa Zoltan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.